Hello and welcome to Rose Tinted Law, the podcast. I am Rose Inglis, founder of RTL and your host. Rose Tinted Law is a professional development platform for curious and open-minded legal professionals. This podcast is a space to have honest conversations about legal careers with people who are boldly carving out their unique place in our profession. Molly Trigellis is a woman at the top of her game. Today, she's the Director of Legal Optimization at Minter Ellison and is the unofficial face of the legal operations movement in Australia. I'm sure most of you would have seen her speak at an event or come across her on LinkedIn or even had the pleasure of working with her. She seems to be everywhere. However, you may not realize that it took Molly a somewhat windy road to get to where she is today. From her seasonal clerkship experience and the mistakes she made, to her initial years at Norton Rose, where she actually met her husband, to her windy path into legal operations, and to starting her passion project, Hustle Bustle, we cover it all today. Molly nailed the brief. This conversation is so honest, and she really candidly shares all the twists and turns and blood, sweat, and tears that have gone into making her the successful woman, lawyer, director, leader, mother, wife, and friend she is today. I hope you enjoy this honest conversation and it helps open your eyes to the limitless possibilities of where your legal career may take you. Molly T, welcome to Rose Tinted Law, the podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Of course. You're a highly sought after guest, actually. It's very nice to hear. On (laughs) one of my coaching clients, she asked me to interview you, which you're already on my list. And some of the questions are actually directly from her. So, very complimentary. Before we get to your rock star status of in the legal operations space, I wanted to go back to the beginning and learn a bit more about your backstory. So, Molly, mm. when did you decide that you wanted to study law? I'm not sure I ever decided I wanted to. I think this is a pretty familiar story, but basically I did a media and comms degree, the one that was at Melbourne Uni, which is now defunct, which is a great sign for my career. And I finished not knowing what job I was meant to have. Like I didn't, I really didn't know. So I wandered around for, I did six months doing visual arts, having a lovely time, um, which was the other option for me. And then- So you're really creative. Just, well, I do, I love art. It's like the, one of the things that's on the back burner with the job and the little toddler, but it's always there as something that's asking for some attention. But then I just applied for law school, basically. It seemed like a good thing. My parents were really excited by the idea. And to my great surprise, I got in to Melbourne Uni and Monash got a hex spot at Melbourne, like just in the new JD. And I was like, well, it's too good to refuse, basically. That's how I got there. And when I got there, I actually really liked the study. It was really intense. It was the second year of the JD there. So they hadn't worked out, frankly, how to do it in a non- crazy way like it was Mm -hmm. so full on it was a baptism by fire view of how to do law because they said well everyone's got careers everyone's done other things so here you go like we're going to slam you and attrition rate was huge like we were 110 down to I think 80 by the end or something but in any event I really like friends doing it at the same time (laughs) yeah Yeah. it was wild and the intensity, it was almost like perhaps what it might be like doing it overseas in one sense, like, you know, really the experience of having yeah. a small cohort. So that was awesome. So I made some really great friends, but I got two thirds of the way in and thought, I've got to finish studying. I've been studying for seven years. So I basically crammed a year into a semester to get out of there. Yeah. After seven years, like, quick. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm done now. I've had enough. I've had enough. <laughs> 
So that's how I did law. Wow. Yeah. Did you apply for seasonal clerkships? Did your studies fit in with the clerkship process or how did you yeah. start getting your legal experience? It's funny. Before I started law school, I wrote a note to myself that I kept up on my wall saying, dear Molly, you do not want to go to, I won't name the law firm, but like big law firm, because I was so determined not to have a commercial law career path because I really felt it didn't align with my values, whatever they may have been back then. But I got completely caught up in the hype of it all. To be honest with you, the pressure around applying was really intense. And I think the small cohort made that really intense. And people would be coming into lectures with suits on. You kind of knew how many interviews everyone had. Like it was awful. It was an awful time, but I got swept up. So I applied for a whole lot. And I realized later on, I did them mostly when I was on a international program. So I'd spent two weeks in Geneva, part of what Melbourne. So I did it in this absolute flurry in Geneva and realized after I'd done, I don't know, 20, 25, that I'd put the wrong degree in. Like I put not the JD, like some post doctorate in law. (laughs) And I only had about four left to do. I got three clerkships and I think there were the three that I did last (laughs) when I realised my error because I couldn't, like, yeah, I had just sort of middle of the road grades. Like my first semester was great and then I went downhill a bit. So I was was banging in the middle amongst all these super A-type. Yeah. I ended up getting three clerkships. Fabulous. Did you get a grad role from one of those? Yeah, so I did three clerkships. I did course. Minter Ellison ah! um, and Norton Rose, as it then was called. Yeah. And to be honest, really full on. Like the first one was Minter Ellison. Everyone was really lovely, but I had literally not ever stepped foot in a law firm, like not for a minute. I, I, and everyone else just, I think, I don't know, I, I'd come from high school in Singapore. I wasn't in the like private school tent. I felt like I knew nothing about anything. Like I was just completely in the dark about it all and everything was foreign. Like the first one was just so full on. I was a nervous wreck. There was definitely some tears along the way. It was challenging in some ways, but I think you get in your groove a bit and realise it's not rocket science. What they're actually expecting isn't that much. It's kind of like you actually just have to seem like a good person that listens and gets on with other people. That's what they're looking for. But I didn't realise that until probably the third one. So I got two grad offers at Minter Ellison at at Norton Rose. And the reason I chose Norton Rose was you've got three weeks to go on. The partner was slightly more engaged at the time and I liked the team which was that I didn't end up ever working in that team again, yeah. but that's how we made these decisions. Yes. So, yes. so it's kind of funny that I've come full circle to Mindra Ellison. Because, Absolutely. I think people will be know. so fascinated to know that backstory <laughs> because yeah. the legal profession is small, especially in Victoria. Mm. People do know everyone and it's like not a do or die decision where you go and what you do. You always end up where you're meant to be anyway. Yeah, for sure. And I'm for a lot of reasons, I'm very glad I chose Norton Rose in the sense that I met my husband and my best friend. So while I didn't love the work there, I didn't love working there. I didn't love the law. Was he a fellow grad? No, he was a more senior lawyer in my team. Oh, I love it. Yeah, that was a later rotation where I settled in intellectual property litigation and I was there for quite a while and it's one of those things like very surprising moment where we're like, hmm, okay, you're going to be my person. Like that's a shock. (laughs) My next question is what was your grad and early career experience like? And the conversation has already taken a diversion. Well, let me me go back. How you ended ended up finding your your partner. (laughs) 
yeah. your, your sure that was on the list. Go there. <laughs> it wasn't in my grad year, so that was towards the end. So if we go back to grad year, <laughs> the upsides of grad year were there was 13 of us and it was a really tight cohort, like awesome cohort. Three of them are my closest female friends and, you know, being bridesmaids, it's one of their weddings, like they're our Lovely. crew. Yeah. So that was amazing. So from day one, just like knew the people were great. I found settling in difficult. I think, I don't know, I was so anxious to not do the wrong thing, but I didn't know what the right thing was. So it was a very stressful time. Like I'm not going to try and sugarcoat it. The fun was fun. Like the social thing was great. Like meeting all my these friends was lovely. It was quite a friendly Friday firm. night drinks. Friday night drinks every Friday. The grads year above were awesome and really great cohort. So there was a really strong bond with yes. people. But work-wise, I just was so stressed the two years because Norton Rose, I don't know if they do now, but they did a two-year grad program. So you do right. four six-month rotations. So I did front-end IP, which I couldn't make head or tail of, to be honest. I had no idea what I was doing the whole time. <laughs> I, Funnily enough, Kate Sherburn, who now works at Who Gives a Crap, was two years above me and was sort of like my lovely mentor in that team. So that's, wow. like, as you say, a very small world. And then I did insurance litigation, which I sort of, in hindsight, was probably the best because it was smaller files and I actually got to do things. Yes. And then I went to Dubai. That's right. I'd forgotten. I got to do an international secondment. So that I went and worked in the Dubai office and I don't know about anyone, but Dubai is like not the best place to live. Nothing about it ticked my boxes, but amazing to be able to go and work in a really tiny office doing big big construction arbitration and cool. yeah I think that's where I clicked oh I can do this like they thought I was really good and I just had not had that vibe in the Australian <laughs> office really at all and then I landed in IP litigation which also had a very strong franchising litigation focus so I ended up doing a lot of franchising work which I actually really enjoyed but I settled with another grad who's one of my besties now but she was so good and such the right fit for that team like her and my husband who are very good friends have the same brain same way of thinking like really good at that black letter law and I just I just I'm not I'm not I have never been but I was trying to like jam myself in to be good at it yes and that was very uncomfortable and I had a direct person to compare with and it wasn't a competition in the sense that we were both very collegiate but I could just see it was so clear I didn't fit so I, I worked in that franchising litigation space and did some defamation matters which were fun but just I was just so stressed the whole time I was so frightened of making a mistake I thought I was very bad at my job if I'm honest and only started to cotton on that I wasn't when I was seconded out to support a very large construction arbitration the firm was running and was basically ended up doing project management and then I was like ah light bulb one this thing well I don't know what this is but I'm like organizing people and schedules I'm good at this and a senior lawyer told me and that was like the first time a senior lawyer said well done basically (laughs) in four years so I had a pretty bruised sense of self by the end of the four years even though I came out of it with great friends and a partner it was a challenging time there's such a big period of growth isn't there in oh, the initial few years of your career because as you said you want to make your mark as a professional you may or may not end up in the right place for yeah, you yeah. like I always say that like the stars really have to align for you to fall on your feet in the right spot at the right time yeah. and just find your first role or couple of roles absolutely you know? yeah and the thing and you think so you want stress and like the stress oh. was you, 
that you put on yourself. Yeah. But then yeah. also like even I'm sure you were extremely competent and you were great, but like if you're not passionate about it and your colleague is, like your best friend is, it's obvious. Yeah, it's so You know, obvious. like I've only appreciated that as the more experience and the older I get. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you, yeah. you don't fit. Like the team can be no. great. The firm can be amazing. The quality of work can be exceptional. And you're just like, oh, you know what? It's not you. It is me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, and I like I was hard. trying. I was trying really hard, but I think there was perception that I wasn't, and I don't know if it was just that I wasn't tuned in. I mean, I also went through a house renovation and a massive breakup in that year, so like my performance was probably not a one. So in terms of that growth, huge. Going to your other point, like I was so desperate to do IP law, desperate, like waking up in the night worried about what if I didn't get my first choice, like fixated on it. And I got it and then, no, like not for me, thank you. So it's a really interesting message. I mean, we all go in, I think, with these really strong views about what we want to do, but it's a bit of a shock to sometimes realise that the reality does not match our dreams and then we've got to yeah. think about a plan B. <laughs> so what, what <laughs> when you realised, you're like, hang on, my plan A is not exactly yeah. what I was hoping, what I imagined, so... What did you do next for your plotting for your plan B? I realized I had to get out of Dodge. Like I had to get out of the law firm and I was so unclear on what my options were. Like I just, I did not know what job I could have. And I spoke to recruiters about in-house, you don't have the right experience. You've been litigation side. They want corporate, you're too junior. I applied for, I don't know, 25 jobs, a couple of really upsetting me and misses so I got to the last two for like a so I think it was like an assistant judicial register position or something where I was supporting federal court which like I think I would have loved and they said it was like hair's breath that was person was slightly more senior but then I found this job at the law institute that looked really good which was this commercial policy lawyer role and that was a little bit stars aligning in the sense that I think I did like I sent my resume, like someone called me, I had an interview, like they offered me the job the same day. Like it was sort of all of a sudden after banging my head against a brick wall, I was like handing my resignation letter in like, bye. I, you know, <laughs> really exciting. So that was my yeah. leap out. And I just knew, I sort of had a sense, I had to get out to know yes. what my options were. And I think once you've made up your mind, it's like you, you're, yeah. your head's there. You're like, I have to go right now. Yeah, like and also, yeah. yeah, and it was just also not sustainable to work in a team that my boyfriend was more senior lawyer in. It was a small <laughs> team and it's not great. Like I would not recommend that to anybody. <laughs> Did people know you were together? <laughs> By the end, we thought we had hit it well for a few months, the last few months, but we told everyone and they were like, yeah, and? Like, <laughs> we knew. <laughs> oh, that's but, funny. Yeah. <laughs> we're trying to be respectful. Um, so I went to the Law Institute. <laughs> so did you move into a policy role? Policy role. So I was, I think I had about 11 committees that I managed. So all yeah. the costs law committee and all the commercial law committees. Yes. There was a sense, which is a theme that comes into my roles, of a little bit of a tidy up that needed to be done. Like there's sort of some yes. restructuring, they call it a management piece. And so I just did that. I think the committees were a bit frustrated with the processes. So it sort of yes. required me to get them back on side. And another curveball, how long into my role? I think it was probably about eight months into the role. There was this big situation. The costs lawyer had left. LIV sets with the federal court, like the cost scale uplift, like each year. Yeah, yeah. And this cost lawyer had done it every year and no one knew how she did it. So I had to do it. I had to go and (laughs) present to the federal law cost committee. 
with all these spreadsheets. Like it was one of the most insanely nerve wracking times of my whole life. But we got it through and it got me very much, I had done a solid for the teams and it basically then got me on the attention of the commercial GM at the time. And I said, look, I'm kind of interested in some other experiences. Like I don't think being a policy lawyer is going to be my passion and this portfolio is pretty tidy now. So I ran the learning and development department for about eight months. And again, there'd been a huge change. So it was kind of like a reset, trying to get it profitable, like really changing yes. the approach. So that was really fun. And I learned my commercial stripes from that GM, who I is one of those bosses that I will be eternally grateful for because she sort of switched off my lawyer brain a little bit, which I needed for that commercial role and have leveraged for all my roles since. How did you go from being in a very like hierarchical, tight law firm environment to an organisation where you have so much more autonomy yeah. and flexibility and ability to think and do yeah. in a much more kind of liberal way? Oh, it was great. Like it took me a week or two to kind of be like, no one's going to tell me what to do. No one's reviewing my work. Everyone thinks I'm awesome. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was, and it, kind of, it was finally like, okay, I have been in this ridiculous high-performance environment where people expect 300%. And now this is a very different environment. People are yes. here, they've got different people working part-time. People are here because they're passionate about the cause, whatever it might be. Yes. So it's like, wow, I can do a good job and not kill myself. Like It yeah. was a little bit of a light bulb. But in my typical way, I was kind of like, well, I'm not very busy. What else can I do? So I went off and became a bar instructor. So I was teaching like before and after class, teaching bar classes. Oh, good on you. As well. Oh, I didn't know Just that. to like add to my load. Yeah, I know. It's just mad. I've realised I can't rest. I'm not very good at it, <laughs> even though I'm always tired. <laughs> so I have to add new projects on. <laughs> So it, was, so it that, was a good time. So that role was a bit of a stepping stone. So you got stepping stone. You were at a law firm, you were at a much more dynamic or dynamic broad well, kind of organization. Yeah. Lewd, I guess, in in yeah. the sense that law firm life is very well, subject to my now career path. Very, as you said, one step, next step. Like you can see your path ahead forever. Yes. Which also made me uncomfortable because I knew I wanted a kid. And I could look around and think this seasonal clerk, this male seasonal clerk, if I come back, he will be basically my boss. That idea that if you, you miss a beat, it's lost, where I could see this environment wasn't like that. But also meant you could see you could move laterally. Like you could do a whole, you didn't, there's all these ways you could shift your career now. So it really just opened up the possibilities. And also I was engaging with lawyers. I was engaging people in the law. So it suddenly made me see all the opportunity that was there and mm -hmm. all the many, many ways people were using their law degrees that weren't straight legal practice. How did you get from there to where you are now? <laughs> mm. Yes. Well, when I was in the commercial role, I did some formal project management training. I did Prince yep. 2 because I just yep. recognised that essentially Super what I was doing. qualification. Yes. Prince yep. 2. Yeah. I recognised that I basically I was just managing a whole lot of mini projects. So that really was like, yep, I like this thing. And I think it was another time of change at the Law Institute. could kind of sense some shifts on the horizon that may have impacted my role. And I think I was right in the sense that about four months after I left, there was a big round of redundancies that I probably would yes. have been part of. So I kind of like was, I got to jump off this ship. It's been great, but I got to go. And so I just saw this role at HSF, which was a legal project manager. And I just, I applied on a total whim. Like 
everyone that I would have spoken to would have said, why on earth would you, Molly Trigulis, go to HSF? Like you didn't like being in a law firm. You've always <laughs> said you don't want to do the top tier thing. But I don't know. I just did it anyway, typical, and had an interview with person would be my boss who was really great and then another interview with a very young female partner and a more senior male partner who I would be supporting and like the interview went half an hour over we started talking about like you know feminism and all this stuff this young and I was just like this this is pretty cool like this is a powerful young female partner like I want to work with someone like this I was really impressed and I got the gig I went and it was so great I wasn't lawyering so I was a bit protected from the really high intensity of working at somewhere top tier but I would say that there's a real benefit to top tier life which is that you just know you're working somewhere where they really know their stuff and everything is kind of really high quality and that's the expectation and that can be really tough but it's also quite rewarding and everyone's you know really focused on Mm. good outcomes so I actually loved I loved it there I loved my job kind of like found your your niche you're like oh this yeah like did stars yeah. align have you had that aha moment yet yeah yeah that was the role because I realized what it was and it shifted to being called legal ops legal operations manager while I was there so that was sort of the aha like oh legal ops because what we were doing was so much more than project management mm-hmm. but I just saw it's like okay what do I love I love talking I love people I love cleaning up messes I love sorting out the behind the scenes and it was all those things and then I, I was thinking wow I can do this as a job and this is a, just about to kick off in Australia this job mm-hmm. like there's going to be more and more of these jobs and I'm really bloody good at it you know <laughs> not to like toot my own trumpet Yay! but I just knew <laughs> I just knew like I was good at this thing and that I could see this pathway ahead or sort of winding path of a really interesting career and if you speak to people in legal ops they often say they feel like they've stumbled on this awesome still fairly secret path where you just have this like super fun job (laughs) (laughs) in law (laughs) in law without all the horrendous anxiety (laughs) I was really not intending to leave like I was really happy and also I was starting to think about having a kid so I was maternity leave started to become a thing on my mind but I wasn't looking I hadn't got my LinkedIn profile up I, not, there was nothing and I got this call from a headhunter about what, going to Minter Allison like I just hadn't even thought about it, it was here we are full circle for a, a much more senior role in legal ops so I was a head of legal operations oh, wow. role leading one of the four practice areas the disputes practice area reporting directly to the chief digital officer and with a really strong mandate from the CEO and it was like okay that's really interesting because while I loved my role at HSF the mothership's in in London and there were so many layers above me. Yeah. Like the trajectory was another ladder. And suddenly here I am thinking about reporting directly to the chief digital officer. So I met with him and I don't know, anyone that's met Gary Adler, you can't help but kind of be swept up in the passion and enthusiasm. And he had such a clear idea of the vision, really visionary in that sense, to like build this legal ops leadership team who basically reported to him but had a dotted line to the managing partners amazing structure like I I really stand by that structure because with the managing partners trust like it can all happen when you're working with them so it was actually a really hard decision though because like it was the unknown people would say oh like Minta's gotta watch out 
which I've realized everyone will say about any other law firm. So yeah. I'm just, you know. <laughs> but also, you know, like losing my maternity leave entitlements, not sure if I'd like the job. Anyway, I took the leap in the end. I can't actually remember the, what was the final decision, but I had a coffee with Gary and I think he pretty much sealed the deal for me and loved it there. Absolutely loved it. I mean, I'm still there. But good. So a how good long role. have you been at Ellison now? Since December 2018 with a baby in the middle. Oh, so cool. three, four years, yeah. Your role has changed from legal operations to legal optimization consulting. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about what the difference is and how you've negotiated the change or the evolution yeah. from your legal ops role to your optimization roles? The firm recognized that increasingly clients were really interested in what we were doing and we were supporting a lot of matters with legal ops to make sure they ran efficiently. But then there was this side set of questions or clients asking for help for things that weren't matter related. So what AI are you using in this space? Like, Do you have any suggestions or tools to help with my efficiency? And so we as a firm took a leap into developing a new consulting business because Minter Ellison has like a whole suite of adjacent services that are non-legal consulting businesses. So took a leap to build this one. And I was really interested in that, like really exciting to think about supporting clients with this work. And also in my typical fashion felt I loved my role, but it was running really smoothly. And that's for me like a dangerous thing because a smooth running role is one that someone else can do. And that's for me to work on. Not that I think that's going to happen anytime soon in this role. But so I was sort of looking around like what would be next. The timing was pretty special. Like I'd just come back from mat leave. I think I had a nine month old, but I jumped over into basically consolidating and building a consulting practice. So we consult directly to in-house legal teams to support their legal operations functions or just to support the functions generally with the way that they're operating. My role is practice leader. So I run the practice, win all the work, support the work, have the team that does the work. So it's a huge shift. So it's fully externally focused from having a really internal focus. And so that learning curve has been really interesting. Getting comfortable with selling in an authentic way has been a real journey. Like a nice light bulb for me, I don't know, maybe six months ago is, okay, I can be me, I can be Molly and sell that sell Molly and my personality and people will like that or the people I want to work for will be interested in that. Rather than trying to sell some shiny thing that's not me, which is really difficult, is obviously really difficult. So that shift's been a really important one and it means I feel comfortable having a voice on LinkedIn. All these other things come with that, knowing that I just have to deliver services in a way that I feel good about and authentic about. But that's been a learning curve, real Mm. learning curve. Yeah. That's one thing I wanted to ask you as well about how you've kind of gone from moving from a lawyer role to a consultant Mm. role. Because as someone who has gone in both, it is different skill sets. It's similar, but it's different. Can you talk to us about how you've navigated that, how it differs and kind of what you've done along the way to get that confidence and get that different Mm. skill set and change your mindset and the way you approach problems? It's such an interesting question. I think there's such a big leap from both legal to legal ops, just even in the internal sense, but then from lawyer brain to consulting brain. And the first one, I think lawyers mostly feel that selling is a dirty word. Being a salesperson is really uncomfortable. So consultants have to get on top of that, working out how to package things up in a way that's palatable, working out what the client really wants and offering it to them in a way that they can quickly understand and accept 
lawyers are commercial naturally. I mean, lawyers are making money, but I think there's this other set of commercial skills that come in with consulting and particularly in a consulting in a new field, like an area, this is a really young market in Australia. So mm. we're having to educate people about why they need this at the same time. Being really comfortable using data is a big one, but also being comfortable with data being flexible. A lot of times we're working with teams that don't have a lot of data but they might have some really interesting quality of information. Being really good with data, accessing people that are good at data is something that's, I think, really important. And then generally being comfortable not having all the answers, which sounds really strange, but I suppose as a lawyer, you can't not know something. Like, mm. <laughs> you have to be right. But with consulting and certainly the consulting we do, there's so many ways you could get to a good outcome that it's just being really confident. Yep, I've got a way that's going to work and I feel confident in it, but it's not necessarily the way that my colleague would do it or someone in another firm would do it. But I know that my way will work, mm. you know, there's a methodology behind it. There's some of the things that have been an adjustment. Me and also trying to build a brand, external brand and not feel cheesy about that, which is yeah. I know that's been, something we're all constantly negotiating. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. <laughs> I feel like sometimes LinkedIn has gone up to like, remember Facebook statuses were like a massive thing and it was like, yeah, this is what happened to me today. But it's like what you have to do to get traction yeah. on LinkedIn. It's like it's always yeah. changing. Sometimes I like it's it and then sometimes I'm yeah. like, I don't know. But anyway, we all have to do it, don't we? It's and a hungry anyway, machine. Feels, mm. Yes, that feels right for us. And that's yeah. interesting <laughs> for us as well. Just a couple of really quick questions for people who want to follow in your shoes. Mm. This is one directly from my coaching client. She said she wanted to ask you, Molly, if you're a young youngin yep. in a team and you realize you're cultivating this skill set which is legal operations, you may not yep. be called that you might have a paralegal title or an admin mm. title or something. How do you go about managing up and influencing up to make them realize the value in the extra things that you're doing to tidy up these processes and thinking about more dynamic ways to use existing technology? Ties nicely into the point about data. And again, it's interesting because lawyers often need like a perfect data set, but I've learned that consultants do not. So my advice is, and I have given this advice recently to someone, basically do a review on a page of all the impact you've had. Like literally have a beautiful graphic page and you work out what the metrics are. So for example, I have saved five minutes every time someone does this process. This process is done a hundred times a week. Work out the multiple. Looks like a pretty great number. So you work at actually out a little report or dashboard that you can provide to people to say, I'm not sure if you're aware of what I'm doing. This is really exciting. Look at the potential if we applied this by 10. So that I think is one way. And I've recommended that to someone quite senior recently to do because it's just like we've got to capture what is often softer, more qualitative stuff we're doing and work out a way to report it visually so people really understand our impact. And the other one is and this is the same, if you're trying to really get into the industry and you're working out how to upskill a little bit or think about those little quick certifications. So can you get a design thinking experience for three days or can you do the first part of some scrum master training, whatever it might be. There's a lot of ways to do it that don't cost a lot of money. There's free mm-hmm. resources. Like even the Center for Legal Innovation has some awesome free resources, LinkedIn Learning, yeah. just to show you don't have to be an expert in it, but just to show you understand broadly what this baseline skill set is 
upskill as much as you can in a way that's not going to take too much time or money because I recognize that this is, we're talking about people who are perhaps more junior. Seek out mentors. Be bold. Like I'm really impressed because like, I put a call out to say that if you want to chat about breaking into this area, message me. And I'm really impressed that people are. And that's awesome because you, you have to take a little bit of a leap. So seek out gotta hustle. some mentors. You've got to hustle. Yeah. So be a little bit bold. Know your own strengths. Upskill in strategic ways. That went for ages. You had so much to it say. Did. I didn't think oh you were going to say so all that. <laughs> I just love that conversation with Molly so much. I think my key takeaways from that part of the conversation is that we are all just figuring it out and doing our best and that even gorgeous tall poppies like Molly still have imposter syndrome. They still have self-doubt. They still have to really work hard and own their sense of self and their ambition to get to where they are. In this second half of the conversation, we talk about her passion project, Hustle Bustle, which interviews senior women professionals about the hustle bustle, all of the logistics that go in to having big successful careers. I love this project so much. It's one after my own heart and I hope you get some insight into the magic or the chaos behind the scenes <laughs> that Molly and I go through each week. Molly, you have recently launched a little passion project called yes. the Hustle Bustle. Can you please tell us about the Hustle Bustle and why you've started it? I love reading about people's routines. I'm kind of always trying to work out how to hack my life to make it easier, but just found it all so unrealistic. Painting this picture that you can have this like beautiful white house where everything's tidy and you get up at five every day and you swim in your pool and you like drink your green smoothie. And it did not reflect my experience or the experience of anyone I know. And I think then you, people start to feel like a failure because they can't live up to this sort of aesthetic Instagram life. So I just want to build a community really of people that want to have kind of frank and honest conversations around work life family balance and that juggle the yeah. hustle bustle of it all and not pretend that it's easy or fine or it's so is hard. one way to do it yeah so it's really a community building exercise to try and be pretty frank about what it looks like or what it can look like do you have any life hacks that you use that make your day-to-day -day life a bit easier you know what like I just feel often like my life is true chaos the reason I've got it is I'm trying to work them out, to be honest. But have you one thing project I did, management skills to your life? One thing I did, which I needed someone else to tell me to do, which is funny because it's so obvious, is to get baskets in the laundry so that when I take things out of the dryer, they go in everyone's little basket and everyone has to put it away. And that actually just changed everything. Because for me, like the laundry was a nightmare and it represented my whole life. And I have a toddler who has 50 so changes of clothes much. a day. So much clothes. And then laundry. I've got an 11-year-old stepson. But then, and then they never have actual clothes. But you always no, have no, laundry. No. Yeah. And everyone's rifling around in these big tubs. So that has been a real game changer. The other thing I'm doing that's useful is some good old meal prep and it's mostly for my 11-year-old stepson's lunches during the week because there's always this mad like, oh, shit moment <laughs> at 8 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So I now make a bunch of muffins with my toddler who loves making muffins and do lunch for the week and it just gives us all like this 10 minutes of less insanity in the morning. I so it's not that. much and it's, and it's dual purpose because Sunday afternoon the toddler needs an activity. So it kind Correct. of works on two Correct. legs. I've so. actually implemented a similar system <laughs> at my house. I do a batch yeah. of muffins, a soup yeah. and like a curry oh. or a pasta or yeah, something so good. and then we have that yeah. 
for a yeah, throughout. So good. One thing I'm really interested in is when you've got like in your house, you've got two people with really big jobs and yeah. you're away right now because your husband yep. is on a four-week trial. Correct. This is something I really am interested in and I'm always thinking about because my husband he goes traveling for work. So he, yeah. he just went away for a conference. He came back. He's got COVID. Yeah. He's still out of action. Oh In a couple of weeks, he's going away for two weeks. And yeah. all of that is just hard. Yes. I would say the biggest challenge to my career is having the small job in my house. I have the small job and it's not a small job, but it's smaller and having a toddler. You're working four days, aren't you? I work four days, but like, to be honest, it's really creeping into Friday and a bit of the weekend. Like I'm running a practice. Like it's really hard to shut off, even though, I mean, I'm on leave this week, as you said, but I think I've had to really grapple with this and like my feminist rage has had to grapple with this too Mm -hmm. because I feel like sometimes I am sacrificing more than my husband. But then I look at his job as a barrister. Like I could not think of anything worse. It it is so stressful and he works so hard. Yes. And I have to remember the thing that actually keeps me going is I do not want what he's got. I'm not jealous. I feel sorry for him a lot of the time because he runs on nothing. He runs on four or five hours sleep. And I purposely chose not to have that life and I chose to do something where I can have a side hustle, where I can go to weights and Pilates and see my friends. Yes. And his job really doesn't allow that. So I suppose that's the trade-off for me is that sometimes I am more on the hook than him. I am the person that if childcare rings, if there's illness, a lot of the time it is me. But the other side of that is that I get more space than him really. Like I get to do more things that I love. So It's not a perfect answer, but it's kind of how I've come to terms with it. Mm. And we also, some simple things, finally got a manager who picks the boys up twice a week, cleans the house, makes dinner. So, I mean, that is basically my whole salary gone jokes but like it's no it's not expensive no it's not no if you've got two working parents it's pretty much the mum the mum's whole salary goes it's sucked into childcare the more the mum works the more you need so it is already at daycare now daycare four days and then we've got the manager so yeah it's like another mortgage yeah anyway i could really i could talk about this for seven hours because yes and this is really the heart of what hustle bustle is about trying to think about this and talk about it and say it's hard there's not a perfect answer Mm -hmm. you know and this is in a household where my husband when he's not on trial is 50 50 like he does half the pickups he cleans the kitchen he you know when they go away you're like wait come back yeah come back like i (laughs) I need need that yeah 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 so yeah and it's not trying to you know i'm a bit tired of the narrative of like men are crap and women have it hard like it's no it's like this is a really challenging dynamic careers are really challenging to manage and still yet somehow women are kind of often on more on the hook Mm -hmm. and that is challenging because I am more emotionally kind of attached to being around but I also am trying to have a really big career so yeah yeah. well I am very grateful (laughs) that you are creating the space to have these conversations via hustle bustle I know one way I get through things is by having a squad of amazing people around me to have these real conversations and you and I have had them many many times so fun I know (laughs) over the years long may they continue oh oh, absolutely they they will (laughs) so final question what is next for Molly T well 
there's a lot of great work on for me work-wise like we're really jumping into some awesome client work some of which is in Canberra which really adds to my personal chaos because I have to go to Canberra about every second week so that's sort of enough to keep me quite busy I'm looking forward to a period of relative calm like I just want to get on with my routine for a few months and not be sick and I'm kind of I've got so many ideas for hustle bustle like I can't sleep at night I'm full of ideas so watch that space and if anyone anyone wants to try and help me work out Instagram and TikTok like I will pay you in coaching sessions no joke I (laughs) I have to get my head around this stuff I've got a lot of ideas execution levels low but I'm just going to do it because you know what I'm all about just giving it a red hot go yeah. So I'm going to just do that and see what happens. Fabulous. Well, I'll be here cheering, sharing, supporting, liking all, <laughs> every step along the way. Likewise. <laughs> Thank you so much. Bye, Molly. All right. Bye.